and welcome to episode 254 of SMARTS, which, as you know, stands for... Spacefaring Material Accident Reduces Travel Speeds. <laughs> Good one. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame-Podcaster, and with me, as always, is Trevor, a.k.a. Rudiger Q. Podcaster. Hello. Hi. So we have a little bit of news this week. Okay. So it was announced this week that uh, Michael B. Jordan, uh-huh. acclaimed actor... Uh, his, I know the guy. Yes. His uh, company is going to be apparently teaming with DC Comics to produce a Static Shock <gasps> movie. Yay. So I don't know if he will be appearing in it, but he will at least be serving as a producer on it. That's awesome. And this means we might be getting a Static Shock movie soon. That would be very exciting. It was hinted at uh, DC Fandom that in addition to the comics coming back, that there was there were rumblings of, you know, other multimedia mm-hmm. projects and so this is presumably what that was referring to that's awesome so that would be exciting yeah i'm i i would watch the heck out of that so the other news we have this week is a big announcement from dc so uh in january after the conclusion of death metal mm-hmm. they're going to be doing a two-month event called future state mm. so what this basically is is kind of they've done something like this before where most of the, from what I gather, most of their regular comics won't be published those months. Mm-hmm. Instead, what you'll get is this whole separate thing. Um, and what this is, is a series of comics that are set in the future. Yep. Uh, primarily 2030 from the sounds of it, but some of them will take place even further in the future. And I'm not just talking about like the Legion comic, which will mm-hmm. presumably take place 10 years after the current Legion comic. Mm-hmm. I think that what this is, is it's a few things. I think that. It's them re repurposing and making use of some of the story ideas and possibly even scripts and character designs that they had for the five G reboot. Mm-hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. you were when the the present of the comics was going to become about the younger characters grown up. Um, mm-hmm. We're not getting that anymore. You know, since the deal was fired. But I think this is sort of this. A lot of these ideas seem similar to that. Right. Like when we talked about um, John Ridley was going to be doing a Batman project for DC starring an African-American Batman. This is almost certainly what he was referring to. So the Batman of this future will presumably be Luke Fox. And this would be this is what they're what he was referring to for mm-hmm. that. Um, so I think it's that. I think it's also their chance to sort of um, take a bit of a breather after death metal. Because, I mean, they they had... They thought they knew what the future of their publishing line was going to be with 5G, and then that and that was going to follow death metal, and then that didn't happen. Right. So I think they've kind of got it, like maybe they're scrambling to put some creative teams together to take over the regular books and completely have new story ideas ready to go. But but it's not just a stopgap thing. I think that it actually sounds really cool because they've got interesting creators working on it. There's creators we know like mm-hmm. Bendis and Joshua Williamson and and people like that. But they're also bringing in a lot of new voices from um, from other media like i think um i I remember seeing that brandon vietti who's one of the showrunners and writers on young justice Mm -hmm. is going to be doing one of the comics i think he's doing the flash comic um they've got some people who work on some of the tv shows i think i saw that some of the super one of the supernatural writers is going to be working on one of these comics and they've got people from like young adult books coming on too so i think it's also an attempt to bring in some new voices and get some new ideas Mm -hmm. but it's also there to and they do this occasionally like They'll have stories that are set in the future, but but one of the things they're doing is introducing characters and foreshadowing things that are then going to bear fruit when we move back to the present in March. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but they're introducing a lot of new characters. So some of the story ideas um, seem interesting, like Gotham kind of goes downhill. Bruce Wayne is presumed dead, so this new Batman has to take charge. There's this, this, this international incident that forces Superman to leave Earth. Mm-hmm. And so John has to come back from the, the 31st century and become Superman. There's a new Wonder Woman who's, a, who's, a, um, who's from the Amazon. Yeah. She's not an Amazon. She's from the Amazon. But then she discovers that she has roots to Themyscira also. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe from Far Sector is going to be like the Green Lantern in this future. So we'll get wow. to see more of her. Uh, Andy... Aquaman's daughter is mm-hmm. going to be the new Aquawoman with Jackson Hyde, Aqualad being her mentor as Aquaman. Wow, cool. Um, there's a new Flash who appears to be a, a new dark-skinned character. I don't know who if that's going to be a new character or someone we currently know grown up. Um, and then all sorts of other like there, all sorts of other interesting ideas, new characters, so people sort of shuffled around. Um, and they're they're doing a few interesting things publishing wise. It's not just going to be like a whole bunch of one shots. There's going to be some one shots. There's going to be some two issue series, but they're actually taking a page from a way a lot of comics are published in other countries, which is instead of having one 22 page story, mm-hmm. some of these are going to be like oversized anthology issues. So like Superman in January and February will be like a 60 page book mm-hmm. that has a Superman story and a Supergirl story and a John Kent story and, you know, like those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And so I think they're also testing out like different publishing ideas also. And they've even said that, you know, even when, like I said, once we move back to the present in March, some of the characters that are introduced here might show up in younger form in the present day books and certain story ideas that are hinted at, like, you know, it's 10 years in the future and Gotham has become a war zone or whatever because of X, Y, and Z that's, some you know vaguely alluded to mm-hmm. and then we move back to the present and we start to see some of those things start to happen you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it'll be it'll be a bit of payoff for readers that way you can read any any and all of these books you know separately you don't need to be reading the current stuff although of course we are but if you are reading the current stuff you'll see some plot points that have that have that are in the current stuff mm-hmm. bear fruit in the future and mm-hmm. then similarly some stuff that's hinted at in the future books will bear fruit once we move back to the present Right. So it's an interesting thing. Um, that's mostly what we're going to be getting in January and February. And also, I think that with death metal ending and presumably having like a new status quo for the multiverse and continuity and everything, I think this is sort of a, a chance to, to sort of reset mm-hmm. and maybe show show some of that new continuity in different ways before we just dive right back into the present. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I think it serves a bunch of different purposes. But, you know, it, I think there's a lot of cool story ideas in there. Um and a lot of cool creators working on it, both existing ones and, and sort of new blood that's being brought in from TV and movies and, and novels and stuff. So I think mm-hmm. it's a I think it's a cool idea. I agree. So the way that it works is that like the first the first new the first week in January, death metal will end, and then the all rest of January and February will be this. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably going to be probably some continuing projects like you know Tom King's Rorschach, for example, or Strange Adventures. Those are right. probably still going to continue right. because those are sort of their own separate things. But all the mainline regular monthly continuity books will go away for a couple of months while this stuff happens. I think cool. that's the idea. Mm-hmm. So wow. that, was, that was the big announcement this week. Wow. Big. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. So what was your comic of the week? So you mentioned it actually already. I picked Strange Adventures because it just continues to be amazing. Um, it picks back up where the last one left off. What a surprise. I keep saying that every time I pick it. <laughs> but this time we see a nice conversation between um, um, Alana strange and um mr terrific as they're walking through a winter 
wonderland of statues somewhere some um i'm not sure what it is but they're walking through some sort of a display of like art installations and it happens to be snowing and they're just talking about the art pieces but obviously it's a veiled conversation about a deeper um situation as well as commentary on that situation so it was very interesting reading from that standpoint because they're also juxtaposed against flashbacks to a pretty brutal um battle and uh um back on rand um showing between the picts and the rainians um having from last issue where they basically got all the previously warring tribes to come together to fight a common enemy now we see that enemy being fought and just decimating those troops that seemed pretty formidable up until uh the picts showed up so we're seeing the fallout of that we're seeing what happens um when pretty much it seems like alana and adam are the almost all but the last ones standing and um, then Mr. Terrific uh, is digging deeper and he knows um, that their daughter is still alive. But now it seems that Alana might not even know. Um, so that's kind of a development. I, I think her surprise was genuine when she looked at him and didn't know what he was talking about when he said that she needs to talk to her husband about their daughter. Um, again, because she only has the story that the Picts attacked them, Adam was not who he was, so he wasn't strong enough to defend, and he watched their daughter die, and presumably be torn apart mercilessly as the Picts do. So there was no body to bury. Um, and I suspect that Mr. Terrific knows that that's a false story, obviously, but that Alana didn't know that. So that's an interesting twist. Um, it's very slow paced but it's also really exciting and very layered so I really enjoy reading this one week to week or you know issue to issue I should say um and that's why I picked it for my comic of the week what'd you pick I picked uh Dark Knight's Death Metal number four nice that was also great yeah this was a good issue um so Superman but there's a bunch of stuff happening in a bunch of different places yeah. they're checking with the flashes and Swamp Thing and Harley Quinn but the main thing that's happening here is that Superman Batman and Wonder Woman each travel to the uh, dark multiverse equivalent of one of the crisis events. So crisis on infinite earth, infinite crisis and final crisis. Um, but they discover too late that they're not the crisis crises as they remember them, but they're ones where the villains won because several characters from the main multiverse, namely not just, you know, dark reflections of, but the real seemingly mm-hmm. anti-monitor dark side and Superboy prime, have come to these worlds for their own reasons and have sort of changed the course of events on those worlds so that the good guys lost in each of those instances. So you see this ancient horned dark side sitting there having yeah. subsumed everybody into the anti-life equation. You see this sort of pure stripped down version of the anti-monitor who's turned everything but the newly arrived Batman into antimatter. Mm-hmm. And you see Superboy Prime kind of looking and acting like he always does, although it's it seemed a little bit more mature, a little less petulant than usual. Um, uh, strapping people strapping up Wonder Woman to the big, yeah. big antimatter uh, tower, the big uh, tower from Crisis on Infinite Earths that he can use to. Um, what he wants to do is, you know, super on brand. For I guess everybody's actually kind of on brand because the antimonitor wants to turn everything into antimonitor. Dark side wants to wants to rule everything with the anti life equation, and Superboy Prime wants to bring back the 
the halcyon days when uh, when heroes were heroes and you know mom and apple pie and aw shucks Amer- Americana and we see like this flash of the world that either he's he's already created there that he wants to create where it's like all the silver age versions mm-hmm. of the heroes yep. like with her playing catch you know, and playing, ball playing and, catch and, with kids yeah. and helping them and playing Martian at the Man park and so- physically morphed himself into a playground that um, the kids can climb all, all over yeah. it's just yeah and that's what he wants all but smiles I, and butterflies but the best part of the issue is when Wonder Woman basically does what nobody's been able to do in 15 years really which is get through to him uh, with a really nice speech about how you know just because things change the heroes can stay who they are mm-hmm. you know and the, the only constant is change you can't wish things to go back to the way it was because even if you morph that um, yeah even if you get what you want that world will change also because that's how it works yeah and then you know he she tries to convince him to help her and restore the multiverse but he his comeback is basically well if my if the earth that i want isn't the only earth then it'll always be a threat from the other earth so it'll be it'll just be like a shot in the dark and she her comeback is really great she says well isn't that what superman has always been a mm-hmm. shot in the dark yeah um you know metaphorically Right. They fire the rocket off from Krypton. Mark Wade's birthright did a really great job of this, really emphasizing the, the odds. Like, cause mm-hmm. in the in the Marlon Brando, I call it the Marlon Brando movie, <laughs> but the movie where Marlon Brando was Jor-El. Right. The Christopher, Christopher Reeve Superman movie. Yeah. It was like, oh, we'll send him to this planet and right. he'll it be really po- strong there. Yeah. It's like there's never, doesn't really seem like there's much of a risk. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Mark Wade birthright version, it's like the odds of him escaping escape velocity from the planet, the odds of him not crashing into some meteor somewhere, yeah. of him not being blown up by some spaceship, of him not flying into some star and yeah. actually reaching Earth or like one in 10 million or something yeah. like that. But it's better chance for survival than he has if he stays. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm just, this is me digressing into Mark Wade's birthright, but then Lara's like, well, it's, uh, it's close to certain death out there. We should just keep him here with us. At least we'll be together in the end. And Jor-El's like, no, if there's even a chance, yeah. we, owe it to, we owe it to the life he could have to take it, right? So yeah. they have to say goodbye to him, even though they think they're just sending him off to an even Weird cooler death, fate yeah. than if he'd stayed with them, right? Um, I always really like that moment. And then there's a really nice moment at the end of Birthright where Superman's able to send a transmission back. And, spoiler for Superman Birthright, which came out 20 years ago. He's able to send a transmission back in time to Krypton. Mm-hmm. So as his parents die, they know that he made it and he mm-hmm. was okay as mm-hmm. they die. It's really nice. Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I really thought that was a nice moment. And she actually manages to convince him seemingly, but yeah. then there's a twist at the end where it seems like Batman, the Batman who laughs, who's become the yeah. darkest knight by absorbing like all the Dr. Manhattan powers and everything from Had Perpet- somehow planned she, for that yeah, eventuality, he planned, you know, by rigging the Mobius chair. He knew just that they case. were going yeah. to do what they thought he was going to do, and he knew that they knew that he knew, right? And exactly. So he <laughs> turns the table on them and they send all the power to Wally in the Mobius chair, but it gets diverted to him, and he's even stronger. And he creates this new, I guess, I he call calls it, it New 52, he or, calls it the last, the 52, last 52, yeah, that's which right, which is going to be some cool new thing that they'll be able to explore in a bunch of new specials over the past couple of months I i'm sure before sure. things are yeah. things are set right yeah but, i mean that's re- really what this whole thing is i mean you see it in the the multi versus end special where it's like guy gardner and captain carrot versus whatever <laughs> yeah and in the robin king special we have this week and the that awesome flash speed metal story it's really just it's really just an excuse to tell a bunch of like absurdly yeah weird off the wall high concept yeah, all, DC stories with alternate worlds and so on, with our characters in the center of it. I mean, it's right. just to create the whole idea is to create like this, this really high octane playground for different writers to explore the different characters and so on. With this main story as it as the spine, right. so 
you create this new multiverse, this new dark multiverse, it's probably only going to survive another few months until the series ends. But who knows, maybe it'll survive somewhere in the dark multiverse and other people will get to revisit it. Right. You know, but I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, it was a really good issue. Yeah, that was a good issue. I liked it very much. So should we move on to your activity? I am ready. So this week, because we finished Mobile Suit Gundam Wing, okay. I thought I would I would have us rank the Gundam Wing pilots. Okay. So the five main pilots, of course, Hiro. Can mm-hmm. you name them can you name them all first and last yeah, names? Yeah, there you go. Um Hiro Yui. Right. Duo O. Oh, I duo had it. Duo O. No, 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 stop. I had it. Uh <sighs> Nope, I can't do Duo's last name. Starts so with it? an M. Massimo? Nope. I don't know. Duo Maxwell. Maxwell. Yes. Oh, oh. Okay. Uh, Trova Barton. Mm-hmm. Um, Quattro something sub winner. <laughs> I Katra can't remember. Quattro winner. Quattro sub... Oh, Rabaro winner. Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, Wufei... Um, what was his last name? Was it Chan? Chang. Chang. Yeah, you got a pretty high high chance of guessing that one correctly. Um, what? It's a pretty standard, it's a pretty standard name. Uh, is it? Sure. It's a common name. Okay. Um, no, it's just it had a certain ring to it, and I was trying to, uh, recall that to memory. Um, okay, so I rank, I think my favorite has to be, well, it's really tough, but I gotta go for the optimism, so I'm gonna go with, um, Katra as my favorite, followed by, oh man, see, this is tough. They're all so amazing. They really are. Every single one of them has a really amazing arc. And oh, that's a tough. This is a mean. This is a very mean activity because um, I love them all so dearly. Let's see. I really enjoy the show and everybody is awesome. Okay. Katra is my number one. I'm going to say Duo is my number two because he's just so funny and relaxed and laid back. Hero is my number three, um, even though he objectively has the most... Um, heartfelt he really is the heart of the gang but he's so driven by his mission and the core of who he is that it kind of shuts him off to well, they other say stuff. that hero is the heart but i think katra is the katra, heart katra is the heart <laughs> he, he really hero is. is like the leader yes yes Although katra is also kind of the leader <laughs> i know he has <laughs> yeah he, so he definitely glued everybody together he's smart he's clever that's why he's my favorite because he has everything going for him he's he's a he's a good uh strategist he's a really kind person and it just bleeds out of him at every moment even when he's got the touch of the crazies and he's you know been manipulated by the zero uh programming or whatever it was um He's still, like, just such a decent person. Um, Duo is funny because he's he's warm. He sees people. And he's funny and he can blow something off. But he's also a- incredibly driven and responsible and fierce. Um, and then you have Hero, who is the hero. But he sometimes can be a little bit standoffish and distant in times when that's not gonna work for him but at the same time he's a brilliant uh strategist and and a really good fighter so he's he's definitely got an arc that i really liked too um trova is amazing um but 
I feel like I want to know more about him because he's definitely like even more standoffish at some to- at some points, but he's also incredibly like warm. Like all of them are kind people at the heart of who they are. Um, and then Wufei, he's he's really great too. He's driven by just this need for justice. So he's trying to find balance. Like he's always, always, always on a quest for fairness and balance and justice. And sometimes that gets him into a sticky situation and sometimes that kind of messes with his mind when he thinks that the world really is unfair and it's kind of on its own and a mixture of emotions uh, going on for him. So, But he's he's also awesome. This is an unfair activity because I really like all of them. <laughs> what about you? What's your ranking? So what was your final ranking? So then? my f- final ranking would be Katra, Duo, Hero, Trova, and Wufei. Okay. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty close to mine. Um... I think Wufei would be at the bottom for me, not because I don't like him, but I think I just like him the least. Like he's, cause he's kind of like, he's probably, he's the most jerkish of the group. A little. He's, and at times yeah. he, he's like actively working against them. And other times he's just like going off on his own and doing things that are making things worse for everybody. Plus he's, you know, a little, a little sexist and he's got this sort yeah. of old, old fashioned, you know, might makes right attitude a lot of the time, mm-hmm. which I don't know, it comes across as a little anachronistic and a little unlikable at times. Um, probably... Troa would be number four for me just because I feel like we didn't really learn anything about him until the movie. Yeah. And for the first half of the series until he gets uh, really the first two thirds or so until he gets amnesia and comes back, he's just sort of like the silent one. Yeah. Who doesn't really say much or do much or have much personality. Mm -hmm. It's really just so I feel like I liked him more near the end, but it didn't really give him his whole arc kind of got condensed into that. And even then just, we started to learn interesting things about him. There were no more stories unless you read like the novels and stuff, which are apparently not very good. Right. Um, I guess I'm working my way up from the bottom. I guess I would say hero would be, this might actually be identical to yours. Hero, hero, I guess would be number three. Um, I like him more than Troa because even though he's quiet, it's, he's not like, it's a, it's a different kind of thing, you know, and he's got, we, we look, we, we see that he's the difference is that Troa is almost like Vulcan like in his yeah. attitude, whereas Hiro will will do things like he says early on, like he just does what is his emotions tell him to do. And you're like, really? Because he doesn't seem overtly emotional very much. Right. But it, it is true. Like, even though he's not even though he doesn't smile or laugh very much, he he just does he does like he acts in the spur of the moment all the time like no yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. he's he's obviously can be a strategic thinker mm-hmm. but he just does what his heart tells him is right in any given moment he's like you know like i'll just take this step and then i'll take the next step and i'll take the next step and i'll trust that what i'm doing is right because you yeah. know of my training and who i am right yeah and then what we learn about him in the movie is interesting which is that he used to have more of a personality but then there was this thing where he accidentally like killed a bunch of civilians including mm-hmm. a little girl and her dog and he mm-hmm. felt really bad about that and like um the higher-ups demanded that he be like retrained and reconditioned mm-hmm. to become like more of the cold precise weapon that he became later um and then of course his arc over the show is interesting where he he does open up more but it's but he doesn't his his outward personality doesn't change very much it's just you can see in and his, it's more he's defined by his actions, you know, like yeah. he lets his actions speak for him yeah. instead of expressing his feelings or, or emoting very yeah. much. Which is a very unique and distinct uh, way of presenting a character because you're absolutely right. Like his his tone, his manner of speech, his brevity of speech doesn't really change. Like every now and then he has a pearl of wisdom that just flies out of his mouth that's really meaningful. But 
for the most part, he doesn't really do a whole lot of talking. He does a whole lot of doing. And it means something when he does something. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's who he is. That's how he communicates. Mm-hmm. I'd have trouble choosing between him and, and Duo, so I might have to actually tie them for number two. But I, I, I might give Duo the edge just because yeah. he's so much more of like a fun... Right. He um, has everything that Hero has, but then he also has a little bit more... Well, he's, he's also like the closest the show has to... Not comic relief in the sense that he's the clown, but he's the funny one, right? Like he he's the funny, he's funny, affable one. Yep. And that's always like a nice... You know, refresher when everything that when everybody else is so serious right. and things that are happening are so dire. It's and nice to have the one like guy who can kind of crack a joke, all. right? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I think I, I think I do actually like Catra the best. I wish they'd given him a bit more development. Like, there's really only one or two things that happen over the course of the series that you would call like major pivotal moments for his character. Um, yeah. And a lot of it kind of happens off screen because there's so much happening and so many characters. True. Kind of sometimes you kind of have to connect the dots yourself to be like, oh, I guess I see why he values this more than he did before. I right. guess it's kind of because this happened. But yeah. a lot of times something dramatic will happen to a character, and then we don't see them for a few episodes. And when they come back, they're like, oh, I learned an important altered. lesson from right. that. It's like we didn't see that. You're just telling us that it happened. Right, so exactly. that's kind of that's maybe one one flaw. But well, there was one where it was kind of integral to the part, like after his. Um yeah, that I thought was fine. That After was, his father died and he right. comes back and he's been like taken over by the zero system and yeah. he's like a killing machine now. I thought I thought that was an effective use of like Cause don't, you don't, know. don't you show a character a for a yeah. while and you wonder about him and then they come back. But other times it just felt like they didn't have room in the episodes to write anything for them and so we go right. episodes without seeing them. Or we just check in like, oh, Tro is still at the circus. Yep. Like another three episodes uh, yes. go by. You know yep. what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like um I just felt like it was a little low, a little overstuffed at times, but um but yeah, I think that he's he's definitely he and Duo are the most likable characters. But I thought that it would be like easy to paint. But I don't know. I, I again, I wish we knew more about him because he seems like he's 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 the gentle one, but he's not a pacifist. Like he's he's every right. bit the fighter and killer that the others are. Yes. And in fact, he says like he comes from this family of pacifists, mm-hmm. and he had to like break from his his family to go fight. And I'm like, I want to learn more about that. We get like one episode with him and his yeah. father. Yeah. But I I want to know more of that that backstory and mm-hmm. I want to know like what well, what made him different like what made him a fighter right. when everybody else in his family was a pacifist yeah. like I feel like I could I could have used more and the movie kind of gave that backstory to some of the characters but not others we got more information on Troa and more on Hero but then with like Duo and Wufei and Catra we just kind of saw them leave for the earth we didn't really yeah. see anything about them yeah you was saw like of one scene where they were before and not much yeah. to lead up to even that yeah yeah. yeah, so I guess that would be my ranking. It's same as you, I guess. Katra and then like probably tie between Hiro and Duo, although I might have to give Duo the edge just because he's a more likable character. And then uh, Troa and then Wufei. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same as me. Yep. So shall we talk about Star Trek Discovery? I'm ready. So we have the season premiere of season three of Star Trek Discovery, That Hope Is You. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's oh, a lot. Man, there's it was a lot, so good. It was a, so good. There's a lot to cover so there. Good, we guys. have a new new you character. So new character good. played by David Ajala, uh, yeah. Cleveland book booker. Mm-hmm. Um, and his fat cat, Grudge, Grudge the cat, who has a thyroid condition, condition. and their own Twitter account, by the way, that you can follow. Grudge. Stop it! <laughs> Grudge. Stop it! Grudge tweets. Oh, that's what I'm gonna do right um, after recording this. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's a really interesting character. I mean, we we've talked a bit before about how we really liked him as an actor on Supergirl, especially early yep. on when he had more dramatic things. Right, that were when happening the writing to was him. a little bit better in terms and then, of his But character. then later he yeah. kind of became a standard supervillain for the show. Yeah. 
Um, he, they flattened him to be two dimensional, but even there, he, he had played such a it presence. well. Right, he but, did what he was supposed it, to do. It felt like a felt like a waste of him. Like like he he could have been like a multi season character. Like he could have been like started a, it a so Tobias, well, and a then Tobias Whale or like a Malcolm Merlin kind of character yeah. for the show who sticks around for a while and he's kind of like sometimes he works with the heroes and sometimes against he the heroes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and no, they just like they killed him off and they killed him off in such an abrupt way. You're like, oh, like he's not really dead. Surely he's going to come back. Right. No, but he was no, gone. No, he's dead. In fact, he was talking in an interview in the, with the Ready Room about how he got a job offer, but he felt it would be repeating himself. I wonder if they wanted to maybe. I'm reading too much into it. Part of me wondered if that was them asking him to come back on Supergirl, oh, like if they did have plans even... to bring him back, but he didn't want to because he thought it would be too too Re- much similar to what he did. Yeah. Maybe it was a completely different job. Maybe I'm just reading between the lines, but it did did really seem when they killed him off like they had plans to bring him back and it just never happened. Um, but he's fantastic here and he's yeah. playing character that's seen i mean he's this apparently funny because... a classically trained shakespearean actor who's done yeah. hamlet with patrick stewart so it's not to say that he has a type but based on what we saw him do in supergirl this is like kind of a better version of that where yeah. he's kind of like a dark mysterious moody sort of loner character yeah but then what's great about this and they softened him and revealed his you know nicer more humanitarian or you know wormtarian sure. side Faster than I would have thought, given that they've got 13 episodes, presumably, with him to sort of give him an arc. But I like that his character kind of mirrors the theme of the show and as it pertains to the Federation, where where they get to this future, right? And yeah. It seems like everything is dark and terrible and nobody can be trusted. But then presumably over the course of the season, they're going to bring you know hope back to the Federation and the galaxy and see things weren't actually as dark as they seemed, right? right. That's the exact same thing with him. Burnham meets this character. He seems like he's completely out for himself. He seems like he can't be trusted, that he's, that he's a killer, that he's a criminal, right? Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the episode, we learn that, no, it was he wasn't actually as bad as we thought. He actually has this hope and optimism to him all along. We just couldn't see it because of the rough exterior, right? Mm-hmm. So it perfectly mirrors the, what, I, what I presume will be the theme of the season, which mm-hmm. is that even when things and people seem bad, there's always hope, right? There's yes. always that goodness in, in, in the situation or the person that can be brought out. So I think that's really cool. Um, the setting is obviously super mysterious and interesting. We're in 3188 now. So it's obviously like seven or 800 years past when any Star Trek series has been consistently set. And a good century after the latest people and events that we've even heard referred to, which is, and I feel like I can't imagine that I'm going to be talking about Daniels from Enterprise as much as I'm sure I'm going to be talking about him over the next few months. But Daniels from Enterprise, whatever his time policing bureau of the Federation was, was from the 31st century and now we're in the 32nd. Right. So they were very careful to jump even further past the last thing because he didn't come from some weird dystopia where there was no warp speed. Mm-hmm. Right. It mm-hmm. seemed like everything was hunky-dory in his time aside from the fact that they were fighting this temporal cold war that Archer had to help them with. Um, we're well past that and Book even says, oh, this event, the burn, which we'll talk about, was about 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. It must have been around Daniel's time. And in fact, they go on further and they refer to the temporal wars, mm-hmm. which people are assuming are what we knew was the temporal cold war in Enterprise, but gone, no longer cold. You know, like right, right. now we're talking about, we're not talking about this surreptitious thing where weird future guy from Enterprise is manipulating the Sulaban to do weird bidding, secret yeah. things through a hit. We're talking about like full on Doctor Who time war level mm-hmm, stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Where wars were being fought across time and possibly with like temporal weapons, which are right. things that we've seen here and there in Star Trek. 
like with you know we just talked about him a few weeks ago like Kurtwood Smith's character from the year of hell episodes yes. was like had a ship that could actually use as a weapon the ability to rewrite time like we could be talking about things on that level Scale. happening yeah um and we're like a hundred years past that um so we're you know we're well past all that um but i like one thing i like is it's clearly closer to dystopian than the utopian future that we're used to but it's not like everything is terrible and everybody's dead and like the klingons are like eating flesh and like rampaging across the galaxy no it's like people are still doing the things they were doing before it's just harder to get around and communicate for reasons that we'll go into yep and for that reason starfleet and the federation aren't really a thing anymore although they still are but only like in pockets and yes. isolated pockets uh-huh. presumably centered around like the heart of the federation like earth vulcan yeah plants like that that are very close to each other and very close to where the federation was based but the further you get out from there mm-hmm. you know you get out to like the bajors of the of the, yeah. of the galaxy and now and there, just, there's no, no way you know what i mean right. like it would take you a hundred years to or longer it would take you a million years or something like that to reach something like bajor at, at sublight speeds and so there's just no way right and what's what's going so i like that it's not a pure dystopia because it's like oh and what i'm what i'm glad they didn't do was what everybody was worried they were going to do alex kurtzman's going to come in and, and say you know i think people are a, a little burned after i think understandably so after like Season one of Discovery, where the Starfleet Admiralty was willing to blow up Kronos to win the war with the Klingons, right? Okay. That's yeah. not very Starfleet-y, right? No. You get to Picard, right? Mm-hmm. Which people mm-hmm. are still a little, you know, salty over. salty over where the Federation, you know, everything that happened there. Like, they won't listen to Picard. They cut off the Romulan evacuation mm-hmm. efforts. They outlawed all since. They let Riker and Troy's son die. Like, it's not a very rosy picture of Starfleet or the Federation there either, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we come to this and like, oh, here comes Kurtzman again. He's going to say the Federation grew corrupt and decadent. And they were, but no, that's not seemingly, who knows? Mm-hmm. We have more to learn, but that's seemingly not what happened. It was basically an outside force. It makes it seem like it was just random chance like a natural accident Mm -hmm. a natural disaster of a sort but i still think that based on the way the show normally operates we'll learn that there was some person or thing behind it it was actually an attack on the federation or something which is fine just so long as it's the federation itself was not their own downfall i think that's what everybody was worried they were going to do instead what seemingly happened according to book who again probably got this from a a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend because he's talking about events that are as far removed from him as like, <laughs> I don't even know, you know, the mm-hmm. civil American Civil War is from us. Mm-hmm. What apparently happened is that all dilithium basically exploded. Yeah. Or yeah. almost all dilithium basically exploded simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that, that's that's a huge event. It doesn't, it wouldn't just mean that, oh, we don't have any fuel to go to warp anymore. Right. Like, Every Federation vessel and most vessels from other races that we know of, that we know enough about how their technology works, their ships use dilithium. Mm -hmm. So basically what would happen is like a simultaneous warp core breach on every every starship in the galaxy simultaneously. Which is every ship, Mm -hmm. basically, right? So we're talking about 99.9% of Starfleet ships and the ships belonging to any other race would have exploded simultaneously. So not only are we talking about a death toll in the millions at least. Trillions. Well, no, it's not going to kill everybody. It's just going to kill everybody that is that is on a spaceship at the time. The vast majority of like Earth's population, for example, is still 
the vast majority Earth. of humans are still on Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, there's maybe like 0.1% of them happen to be on a star base or a starship at any given time. So right. I don't know if, if we're talking about trillions, but we'd be talking about millions, maybe tens, maybe even hundreds of millions. So a huge death toll yeah. um, approaching that of what you would see in like some major wars. Like, I don't even know if there's a stat out, stats out there on like how many people were killed in the Dominion War. It's probably more than that. But still, we're not just talking about millions or tens of millions of lives. We're talking about the loss of entire fleets and the seeming inability to make more mm-hmm. or, or to because not just we don't know again there's a lot we don't know but if if not just all dilithium that was actively being used on starships but dilithium that was being that because it's a resource that you mine right right these planets asteroids that had large dilithium deposits what mm-hmm. if those entire what if those plants and moons just blew up too mm-hmm. then we're talking about an even bigger death toll we're also talking about the scarcity of dilithium where now there's barely enough like book can barely scrape together enough shards mm-hmm. to power a single courier job right we're talking if, if we're talking about basically the warp travel being turned from sort of a ubiquitous fact of life to something that's as rare and difficult now as say sending someone to the moon or sending someone into space is for us Mm -hmm. like in terms of the scarcity of resources and the amount of effort involved yeah that would cause a a complete breakdown of any sort of and and who knows like i'm trying to remember if dilithium is somehow involved in like subspace communication or whatever also but i mean even if you could communicate Mm -hmm. with other Mm -hmm. planets throughout the federation if you can't get there Mm -hmm. it's only a matter of time until you know trade you know there's no, if there's no trade there's mm-hmm. you know lack of imports exports or across planets civilizations would start to fall yep. you know you'd be able to maintain you know relatively com- comfortable conditions on earth itself presumably right. for a be- little while well but, but i mean they could hunker down and i mean they still right. have I mean, all a their... lot of planets could still hunker down yeah, and the, do a lot of planets would would be okay but yeah. you, if you can't if you can't travel and you you can't communicate as easily and, and even if you can there's not much point because you can't Yes, get there. Industries would just full on die. Civilization or intergalactic civilization would break down. Everybody would basically become their own little pocket again. Yep. You know, it Mm -hmm. would go back from where we are now in the modern world to back when, yeah, there were civilizations a thousand years ago. Right. But they never interacted and they didn't know about each other and they didn't know what was going on there. And over the course of generations, they would start to diverge. Again, culturally, yeah. mm-hmm. scientifically, medically, economically, mm-hmm. and you know, even if the even if a ship does come from a faraway star system after fifty years, yep. they might not even recognize the civilization that they find there. Mm-hmm. Nobody might even remember the civilization that this other ship came from. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting way of like sort of forcing a more grim, gritty, everybody, every man for themselves. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. scenario on the galaxy without going like full dystopian and saying like oh the federation became like this evil corrupt fascist organization that you know now the good guys are fighting like gundam you know like oh now the good guys are fighting right. against the federation like you don't want to see that in star trek and we get enough indications that there are i mean even in this one little outpost this this demolished relay station where this one guy mm-hmm. which is a wonderful scene at the end by the way that we'll get to but this one guy that's waited his whole life for any contact yeah 
from Starfleet or anyone having anything to do with Starfleet or the Federation, even in his weird out-of-the-way relay station, he still can pick up two Starfleet vessels in yeah. his sector. Yeah. So if there's two Starfleet vessels in his sector, mm-hmm. there's probably a, you know, a, a decent, few of them floating you know, around. Dozens, yeah. maybe even hundreds of Starfleet vessels out there. After 100 years, you can rebuild some ships. Things, yeah. Like Starfleet still has their shipyards, presumably. Right. And so they can churn out some ships, but... They won't be without enough. Capable. Well, they right. in theory they could be depending on how much dilithium is left. They had ready access to that 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 exploded and how much they could produce or or barter for or whatever. But like if they like, what's the point in even sending new ships out if they're barely going to have enough fuel to get anywhere, much less get back? Like right. there'd be no point in exploring anymore. Right. And they make they they make reference to which I like. They make reference to some of the other technologies that we've heard about, like trilithium quantum slipstream drive, which is the thing that Voyager encountered a couple of times. Yep. You know, they'll probably hear a few other things drop, like transwarp conduits and so on, is another possible thing that they could use. Yep. It's not that there's impossible ways to get around, but Book was like, oh, you know, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Like Can't do these that. things are yeah. exponentially more difficult than warp drive used to be, and even after, you know almost a, a millennium of time past discovery. Right. These things might, you know, even if they did get easier. Yeah. Then. And they did because if they're accessible right, but, to other but people. If these but things, still, how long did they not, take to, yeah, you know, like exactly. if it took, if, if these things only got easier relatively recently, yep. technology, technology has taken, or even if those things were fairly ubiquitous. Yeah. When the burn happened. Yeah. Once things start to break down and nobody can talk to anybody, you're getting, like, roof, like, yeah. most of the ships blow up. Yeah. Like maybe even the quantum slipstream ships or the time ships that we know that the Federation was using, you know, right. as of like Captain Braxton and from Voyager or Daniels. To, yeah. If all the time ships, like even if they had a, a reserve of dilithium on board for for like spur Think. for like backup warp travel, yeah. those would have blown up too. Even if Starfleet ships had quantum slipstream drive as a matter of course mm-hmm. then. Those ships might still have all been destroyed because they might have still used dilithium for some element of their power source. Right. And then now there's nobody left alive or, or within communication range of these planets who knows how quantum slipstream drive works. Right. So even if that was an extant, knowable technology as of the 28th century, mm-hmm. then maybe st- a few hundred later, a few hundred years later and a hundred years after the burn, maybe nobody has that technology anymore or knows how to use it. Right. So it's it's sort of a, a clever enough setup that, that a lot of the conceits that you would have to like because you give this you give this um, conceit to a Star Trek fan you say oh as of the thirty second century this is going to be the state of the galaxy and any Star Trek fan worth their salt is going to say oh well, what about this what about this what about this how do you explain this 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 extrapolate from the points right. that we know further how do you explain how do you explain how Daniels came from a good time how do you explain how nobody's using quantum slipstream drive and they're like oh it's a hundred years after that and yep. quantum slipstream drive doesn't work because and again like. Things are. Kept, I like that they covered the bases things, and they did it in the first. Uh, yeah, there's a little episode. bit of an info dump, yeah. but it was it was done Worth well. It, yeah, and there's still enough. Like, and again, will we get the answers? Why doesn't that, why isn't anybody using, you know, transwarp conduits from the Borg or whatever? Like, why hasn't any other ship we, except for we might, the Discovery found we, out about the mycelial network? Yeah, for we, example. we might get those yeah. answers, but if we don't get those answers, it's sort of I feel easily enough explained away by saying it was a hundred years ago that this happened. Yep. Nobody is left alive that remembers exactly how or yeah, why keepers, things happened. The majority of the keepers of the knowledge yeah. are either siloed off on a planet somewhere and you'd have hard luck to find such a person um, or they just don't exist anymore. Now, as this goes on, if this is the new status quo for the Discovery show, where they're going to, however long Discovery runs, they've already been renewed for a fourth season, say this goes seven seasons, if they're going to spend the next five years 
in this future, if this is the new home base for the show, yep. then over five years worth of episodes, we're presumably going to get gradually a lot more information about various things because exactly. you can't keep it a huge mystery forever. Right. Um, so we probably will learn some of these answers and maybe some of the answers will be less satisfying than others. Yeah. But I feel like there's enough ambiguity and mystery and confusion built into this premise that it's okay if we never get all the answers, if some of the answers don't seem to make sense. Because, you know, first of all, not only was the burn 100 years ago, but the time in which the burn happened is 800 years after Discovery and yeah. a good like 750 years after Picard even. Yeah. That's so much, like think of, you know, what, what Earth was like to yeah. us 750 years ago, it would be unrecognizable mm -hmm. to people back then if they were to come forward to our time, right? Similarly to, to someone like Burnham or even to someone like Picard, to go to far enough in the future, like one day before the burn happened, yeah. technology and civilization and culture would be unrecognizable to them. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, why weren't they using quantum slips? And like, it's almost a thousand years in the future. Who the heck knows? Maybe quantum slipstream drive was was all the rage for 500 years. Yeah. And then somebody discovered some weird effect it was having on, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. one that one TNG episode that was barely ever referred to again, where it turned out that the continued use of warp speed was was degrading space in a certain way, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what if that happened? Or what if they discovered some new way, something even better than quantum slipstream technology that happened to rely on dilithium again? And mm -hmm. so nobody remembers how to use quantum like. A random Starfleet officer would no no more know how to use quantum slipstream drive than someone from our time would know how to build a Model T mm -hmm. or breed a breed, breed a horse to you know to yeah. to ride across the countryside because it's been 500 years since we've had to do any of those things. Mm -hmm. Quantum slipstream drive might have been old hat just before the burn, right? But just because that seems crazy futuristic to people to characters that we know because right. it was a technology that they aspired to and could never get to work. Right. Maybe, like, who knows? Like, it's far enough away mm -hmm. that any number of things could have happened. Exactly, right? exactly. Like, that technology could have been, you know, the, there could have been a, a war that was fought for 100 years over that technology and it was outlawed because it was determined to be too dangerous or too contentious. Like, right. Who knows? Like, there's enough time Distance. and ambiguity built yeah. in there that there's, you know, if we never get any answers, I feel like it's fine. So it's a really interesting premise yeah it's a really interesting setting i mean the episode itself was i feel like was, was really it was good wonderful. it was re really well paced uh, wonderfully shot you know discovery has always looked fantastic yeah, but the on-location shooting here in iceland was great the effects were great they always are it's sort of um, a two-hander performance you've got sonequa mm -hmm. martin green and david yeah. ajala and it's really their episode you see a few aliens here and there and then there's the guy at the end mm -hmm. that again we'll talk we'll talk about he was so good but it's he really just the two of these the two of them carrying time, the whole he was episode so great i saw people on reddit saying like he's their new favorite <laughs> but he like they like him more in those five minutes than they like any of the other characters on discovery which fair. is a little a little cheeky but <laughs> but i kind of know what they mean like this guy you instantly want to give this guy a hug I right know, but i it, know but that's a great scene at the end where they get uh. there so so book you know, develop, develops a bit of a fondness for Burnham and, and her, a trust. her mission. This is interesting because, like, he grew up in a in a place where he, trusting is incredibly dangerous. He doesn't want to know he's her. Got he like, doesn't want to. He's got like druid powers too, yeah. somehow. Which is like, is that have something to do with whatever his genetics are? Mm -hmm. he seemingly, is mostly human, but again, a thousand years in the future, probably nobody is one hundred percent anything. Yeah, exactly. Has he got like a little bit of space druid in there, or yeah. is that some technology? Like again, the is Asimov thing. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from, from magic. magic right? yeah. Maybe for maybe for five hundred years, everybody's had 
an implant or something. Druid technology implanted in their brains. Yeah. Or maybe and this, this is just a thing yeah. that everybody from this planet has, but it's technological and it just seems magical to us right. because yeah. we've never seen anything like it before. So who knows? I'm sure we'll get answers to those things. Mm-hmm. But he takes Burnham to this guy, this this weird recluse guy that... That, uh, that he happened to know. That he, <laughs> that he ran into one time. And this guy is like the, the last voice of Starfleet. Like he's not a Starfleet officer. He's never met a Starfleet officer aside from his ancestor yeah who's like his father and his grandfather kept this basically like lighthouse Mm -hmm. basically this beacon in space this relay station running they were starfleet officers but they died and he's the only one left and he's been there for 40 years Mm -hmm. but there's been nobody there to talk to or to or to communicate with or anything and he's had no sign of starfleet like he can see that there's a couple of ships out there and so he's staying out for them but he's he's keeping an eye on it in case anybody comes and burnham shows up and there's this really sweet scene where he opens up this federation flag and it's this really sad looking thing because it's got like five stars on it instead of like the dozens that the federation flag used to have yeah which raises all sorts of questions like was the federation in decline even when the burn happened or or did they were they still printing new flags after the burn happened like well civilization may be crumbling but we got to update this flag you know yeah. what i mean like so i don't really know about that um but he's like only according to the letter of the starfleet regulations only a commissioned officer can, can raise, raise a flag. flag yeah and burnham instead of doing it herself gives this guy a field commission yeah. as like chief communications officer of this station so that they can so that he can raise it so that they can raise it together and he can see this flag that represents everything he's been taught to believe in this this dream that hasn't existed since before his grandfather was born yeah gets to see this flag finally waving because i guess there's like an air conditioning <laughs> vent pointed at it or something Maybe. so it can wave indoors um either that or there's a really slow leak in his his um oh dear hundred no. year old space station um <laughs> And that's a really nice moment. And then, you know, he says, I've been waiting my entire life for some sign of hope. And that hope is you, which is, you know, ah, they said the thing. They said the name of the episode, right? Um, And so now we've got the mission statement for the show, which is Burnham has to A, find Discovery, and B, set about somehow correcting the situation and if not restoring warp travel, then at least in the short term, like finding other Federation and Starfleet people and trying to bring some semblance of of order right. and federation values back to like lawless society basically right yeah which, which really seems like it should take more than 12 episodes so i really feel like they're setting themselves up for this being like the mission statement for the remainder of the show right you know? yeah yeah oh, but it's so good it's so good it's so good gosh i can't even tell you i mean and there were some scenes that in the very beginning especially where um Sinequa martin green had to basically play by herself and she's well, just she lands. Where she crashes into Buckman and she so... lands. And the first thing she does is she asks the Red Angel suit, "Do you detect life, any life?" Because any if life. she failed and the in her hope, like the cracking fa- in her voice. Because like, oh. I'm like, oh, like, so what if she landed on? Is she worried she landed on an uninhabited planet? But then no, you remember where she was at the yeah. end of last season. If her, if her shot in the dark to to take the control, yeah, technology and data into the fusion failed. She has arrived in a future where there's no organic life anymore anywhere. Right. Right. And so the fact that there's even like any person or any or like a plant yeah. left on this planet is a is sign, sign that, that she succeeded. Her, her plan worked. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. It's so it's just brilliant. <sighs> but yeah, she's a great actress. She's wonderful. And David Ajala is also amazing. And I really love their scenes together. And I love everything about these characters and meeting book in this way was just so fulfilling and i really like him and it's going to come across that he's going to join up with 
at least their mission statement, if not Starfleet itself. Because at the end of the day, he may not trust the immediate surroundings. He may know the world that he lives in. He may understand the that trust is dangerous, that working with people, that um, most people are playing to their worst demons because everybody's just trying to scrape by. Um, he understands all of that, but he still puts himself out there to do good and to preserve life and to keep a fairness and he believes in balance and he believes in he believes in goodness and that right there is pretty starfleet so so he's he's the right person for this journey i'm not sure we'll ever see him join up but I no think he, i know but i think he's going to be like, he, he has the making of a soldier Let's yeah but i think it, he's going to be like an odo character or something who's like aligned with the heroes yeah. but kind of does his own thing a sure. lot of the times and and there's a lot never... more freedom to that yeah. yeah yeah but anyway it was a and i'm not even sure episode. like like from a, lo- a lot of the press photos and everything like we see the the crew and they're all wearing you know like black and gray future robes and stuff like i think that once discovery gets there and they kind of settle in mm-hmm. um it's kind of like a, as book said to burnham like in a lot of places, wearing that symbol is going to get you killed, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of people that have old grudges against Starfleet or that blame Starfleet for the burn or like who knows what for what reasons, right? Right, right. Um, but it makes a lot of so sense. So I think everybody's going to start, mm-hmm. they're still going to be flying around in the Discovery, but I think everybody's going to start dressing down and looking a lot more like Book because in all the cast photos and so on, everybody's basically wearing, you know, drab future gear and not their Starfleet uniforms. Right. Um, but who knows, you know. By the end of the season, that might change. But I think that everybody's going to be going a little bit more undercover, um, at least in the short term. So, Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. So join us for next time. Oh, and if you're not watching The Ready Room, get on that because Will Wheaton continues to be a gosh darn delight. And there's a really cool interview with David Ajala um, in the first episode of The Ready Room. And we get one every single episode. So don't forget to miss out don't i mean don't forget to not miss out don't forget to don't forget to not watch it <laughs> don't forget to not not watch it right yeah no what <laughs> okay you, you you guys are all picking up what i'm putting down so um yeah so that's it right so right if you want to reach out we have an email address mailbag at smartspodcast.com our twitter handle is at smartspodcast on facebook it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast and our website is www.smartspodcast.com how about a funny sound for us? I have one. Well, oh, I got one. Rawr! It's the giant uh, the snail. The worm thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>